Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Miguel Gutierrez is a choreographer, composer, performer, singer, writer, educator, and advocate who has lived in New York for over 20 years. He's visiting Ohio State, and we will be talking about his performance at the Wexner Arts Center titled This Bridge Called My Ass, a piece that bends troops of Latinidad to identify new relationships to content and form. Welcome to the podcast, Miguel. Gracias. Welcome to me. <laughs> to you. <laughs> All of us. We are all welcome here. <laughs> so, Miguel, tell us a little about yourself. Where did you grow up? I'm born in New York, in Flushing, New York, in Queens. Uh, the padres colombianos, my parents, um, came to the U.S. in the 60s. And I grew up in New York, briefly in South America. We lived in Colombia and Venezuela, like, for a little bit. Um And then mostly, then the rest of my childhood was spent in New Jersey. <laughs> um, but since I left home, I've lived in Rhode Island, uh, San Francisco, California was probably the place I most significantly lived in besides uh, New York, which, like you said, I've lived in for now 24 years. Yeah. 24 years. Awesome. So uh, the title of your performance is a play on this bridge called My Bag, edited by Cherry Moraga and Gloria Ansaldúa, mm -hmm. a 1981 anthology of third-wave feminist essays that explores identity and critiques white feminism. See. It's calls for intersectional awareness and political resistance uh, yearly uh, resonate in our time now and also reveal the limitations of discourse to imagine new ways of being together. See. Talk us about how you incorporate this work into the play. It's like a dance-based performance that also has text. Uh, okay. And this book was very inspirational to me when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, Especialmente cuando estuve 19 años, I was like li uh, living in San Francisco and doing a lot of queer activist work. Mm -hmm. And I would just kind of carry the book around and I would just sort of read it in between things I had to do, you know, because we didn't have phones back then. <laughs> so you actually read books. And, uh, y para mí, creo que mi, um, my like entrance into a political consciousness really came through the words of women mm -hmm. um, and the words of these particular women, women of color, mostly queer women of color. Uh, there was a way I could somehow access an understanding of uh, these issues, these isms that were being named, like sexism, classism, racism. Um, and when I w went back to this book, you know, a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. I had already started thinking about this project. And I was thinking about doing this piece with an all Latinx cast. And I, I, read a little bit of the book again and I was sort of struck by, well, how deeply like these words had gotten into me, like how, how much I had absorbed this kind of thinking, but also in a way how much this thinking and this way of expressing 
these particular issues hasn't actually changed that much. And now we find this kind of uh, testimony and this kind of political uh, language of frustration in the social media context, right? Mm-hmm. And and I thought about that. I thought, well, it's 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 both a testament to the fact that a lot of the issues that were being brought up in this book haven't really shifted mm-hmm. that much. But it's also, to me, a sort of demonstration that maybe this way of talking about stuff is quite limited in some ways. Like we can't, you know, you can't get past a certain kind of form, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Like mm-hmm. a f- there's like a form to this kind of complaint. Yeah. Um, y la cosa para mí es que like for dance and performance, you know, there's a possibility there to push past a um, a expectation of how things should be talked about. Um, we can access things uh, through bodies and through action, and we can potentially activate other relationships mm-hmm. to identity and meaning through action. And so I just I I was thinking about those things. I mean, the book, the piece. There's no direct reference to the book. Like we're not we're not critiquing the book. We're not uh, you know improving upon the book. Like the book is the book, and it's brilliant mm-hmm. and instrumental and seminal, and still inspirational. I think um, it's more that when we talk about identity and performance, it feels so often like artists of color or Latinx artists or um, are tasked with uh, giving a very legible, uh, sometimes very heroic or sort of like model minority testimony type story to the audience so that the audience can feel comforted in like, oh, wow, they really made it. They survived. They struggled. And now, and everybody can kind of feel good. It's like, you know, some, yo puedo, no, 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 no voy a decir palabras malas. Porque las uso mucho. So I'd be careful. Uh, you know, like like some dumb Hollywood movie mm-hmm. or something. But yeah. also like a lot of performances like this. And para mí eso siempre no ha sido como like enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's not actually my experience of identity. Um, so it, 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 the piece is looking at another relationship okay. to that. Perfect. So you wrote this piece, uh, but includes selections from traditional trabalenguas, mm-hmm. uh, tongue twisters, mm-hmm. and telenovelas sí. like Rubí, Betty la Fea, sí. El Esclavo Isaura, Dueños del Paraíso, El Extraño Retorno de Diana Salazar, Marimar, <laughs> and María la del Barrio. Why and how do you incorporate them? Um, pues, the trabalenguas was kind of an example of like, it was kind of a nod to a certain kind of language poetry, right? So so it was just, you know, things about repetition, mm-hmm. uh, rhythm. So, you know, there is, I think for me, a conversation about a, a, a dialogue with whiteness <laughs> and a dialogue with uh, the conventional lineage of the white avant-garde, mm-hmm. which is, you know, even something that I've been immersed in and kind of part of in my work and in my in my trajectory as an artist. 
and and I was looking for what are the different kinds of things that are specific to Latinidad, their mm-hmm. Latin American culture that we could kind of offer. And, you know, one of them is Spanish, you know, which of course in and of itself is a yeah. problematic uh, tool of, of the colonizer, right? But uh, in terms of the room that we were all bilingual in mm-hmm. the process, yeah. which I didn't really actually know that was going to be the case until we were all together. And I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Everybody speaks Spanish. We're having these rehearsals where... Estamos moviendo entre mm-hmm. español e inglés, and like that never happened for me in a rehearsal before. I thought that was really interesting. So the Trabalenguas became a kind of way of uh, both acknowledging that, but also kind of, I think, because we do it while people are entering the space, mm-hmm. kind of naming from the beginning of the piece, like there's an inside and there's an outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true of any experience of performance. There are people who have more intimate knowledge of the thing, and there are people who don't. And something you encounter a lot as a performance maker in the experimental field is people who say mm-hmm. things like, I didn't get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's always very frustrating to hear that. So I kind of almost wanted to like embrace this thing of like, well, who's going to actually get this? Mm-hmm. People who maybe speak Spanish. Uh, again, which doesn't necessarily mean Latinx people, because some lot of Latinx people don't speak Spanish. Exactly. Um, but let's say that a lot of them do, you know, and mm-hmm. so or have at least a familiarity with hearing this or yeah. kind of some relationship to it. So I kind of wanted to put that there. And then the telenovela uh, situation came out of, um, again, thinking about, well, is there anything that actually unifies us in mm-hmm. the room? You know, we have people in the room who are Caribbean, people who are South American, mm-hmm. people who are uh, Latinos born in the U.S. And to me, it's like, you know, those are very different experiences yeah. of identity, uh, of nationhood, of mm-hmm. uh, migration. And you can't lump that experience under one banner of Latinx, you know, mm-hmm. which, you know, is the kind of... Um, uh, development from Latino, Latina, and development from Hispanic. You know, like these yeah. are kinds of like the ways in which uh, the words have been sort of evolved. So again, we're troubled with this thing of like, is there a thing that unifies us? Mm-hmm. But I, somewhere along the process of making the piece, my boyfriend actually, w- who was watching uh, telenovela every day, he's not Latino. Um, but he watches it because he likes to uh, learn Spanish that way. And I started watching this one. He was watching Duenas del Paraíso. And I was just, <laughs> you know, I, my mom watches telenovela, there was telenovela growing up a little bit. But I was just so struck by how insanely ridiculous the form of telenovela is and how we accept it. And in a way, it's kind of like a very avant-garde text. Like, you know, in the way that, when people see dance and they're like, well, I don't understand why they did this and then this, like people are looking for causality. Mm-hmm. There's no causality in telenovela. I mean, there is causality, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, that we accept that mm-hmm. is, and is such a cool thing. And cause it's so extreme. So I started thinking about how in the room there were psychodynamics happening between mm-hmm. us. Um, and so I just decided to kind of exaggerate those and and started to write a telenovela and then eventually incorporated actual telenovela uh, scripts. Great. 
Perfect. So let's go back a little bit on bilingualism. Mm -hmm. So your performance is bilingual. And I assume not all audience members uh, that come to see your work are bilingual. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the impact that using Spanish and English has on the performance that you do. Well, I mean, I think I've always been interested in confusion as a state of learning mm -hmm. or as a possible state of like sensory activation. You know, you kind of have, when you're confronted with something that you don't understand, you can either try to get more interested and do a little more work, or you can be like, I don't get it, you know, and just check out. And so I feel like that's always happening. Like I said, in the performance, even if it's, you know, we're not talking about language. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's true of abstract art. That's mm -hmm. true of all kinds of uh, things in the world, you know, or, or music, you know, like, you know, think about like you're in the car with your, with your parents and you put on, contemporary music and they're like what is that you know <laughs> like there's this kind of like uh violence of the of not being able to to, to bridge the divide mm -hmm. between the thing that you expect and the thing that you actually experience and you know i think it reframes the subject position of the performers and of the of the of the thematics mm -hmm. so often when artists of color go into contemporary art spaces they are otherized they are the they are the exception to the rule the rule being a tradition of predominantly white artists who have been supported and seen and recognized as canonical and um the things that people learn about and that everybody can recognize you know people can recognize a jackson pollock painting even if they don't know anything about mm -hmm. you know that kind of work people can recognize a picasso you know I think by putting by people walking into this space and and listening to another language, potentially it puts this question of of who owns this space. It's kind of right there at the beginning. It's right mm -hmm. there at the outset. Like whose space is this? Uh, which I don't know that we resolve that question per se. I don't know there is a single answer, um, but I think that that's already always there and why not highlight it okay cool in your article called does abstraction belong to white people you reflect on the space that are often void of poc in the art in dance mm -hmm. and you talk about the need essentially to be our whole self in each and every space we we inhabit As an artist, you are saying that artists of color often incorporate their, in their identity, their existence, into their creation. I want to read a brief quote from your essay as you reflect about these experiences you write. As with so many experiences of erasure in real time, I am thrown off balance into the incongruence of two perspectives that cannot meet. I shuttle through a lifetime of situations where this erasure is practiced, a lifetime of going to dance classes and concerts, looking around the room or the audience, seeing that the majority of folks are white and thinking, who is not here, who is not here? Can you comment on this, please? It just speaks to almost like a dysphoria that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're, as I am, a first-generation immigrant, um, you 
you have a perspective. You walk, I mean, when I walk into a room, a group where there's a lot of people, the first things that I think about are who's queer and who's a person of color in this room. Like I'm instantly sort of looking for to those for that for that population and I'm doing the numbers in my head. Um and it's just kind of shocking to me when I realize that other people don't do that. And you know, if I get a f- catalog from a venue and I look through and see who the artists are that are being presented that season. That's, you know, which is something that's shifting a lot mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, but for many 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 years that was really not the case. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember one year there was this festival that happens in New York. I won't name names, but, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the roster came out and I was like, out of 25 artists, there were like four women. And I think there, I don't know if there were any artists of color. I can't remember. Um, and I was like, how can anybody look at this list and not see these glaring mm-hmm. absences? But apparently, many people can do that. And, you know, I used to do this uh, thing where I was a volunteer mentor for a program in New York where we took high school students to go see dance performances. And uh, these were kids coming from New York City public high schools. And I, you know, would bring, I would bring these kids and often these kids were the only non-white people in the room and or in, and we would really stand out because it was like a row of us mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like i was very struck by that and then i was also kind of i guess you know uh roiling or struggling with myself in those in those situations because i was like well a lot of this work i really like or i these spaces this is these are the spaces i'm going to to see the work that i think i like so also what does that say about me or what does that say about uh how my taste has been shaped Mm -hmm. by these kinds of rooms so i think that that's what the is happening in that part of the essay and you know looking back on all the times I've been the only person in the room who is looking at this question Mm -hmm. potentially. Um, And the way that when that happens, you shape shift or you feel a pressure to shape shift Mm -hmm. to sort of appease the part of you that's frustrated with it. And then there's a part that's like, well, it's okay. Like, you know, it's like this part of my personality kicks in of like, Está bien. No, 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 problemas. Don't like, don't mm-hmm. like, don't, don't mess with the situation, mm-hmm. because if otherwise it feels like you're just going to be screaming into the wind. Yeah. yeah. So, is there anything else you would like to share about your work? I don't know. I really love. I you know I really love doing this piece. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an intense piece for people to watch. Of you know of mm-hmm. any background, I think. Um, you know. At the end of the day, I think we're 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 looking at questions of form. We're looking at questions of structure. We're looking at we're dismantling even maybe people's expectations of what a you know dance performance should look like. I'm mean, definitely we're doing that. Um, I I I think there's a lot there, you know, I, and and I think there's a lot to take in. And then I know for a fact that a lot of people 
are just utterly confounded by the piece. You know, but when we were in Minneapolis last week, some of the reactions we got from some students who came, and then at least one audience member who was at the post-performance discussion one night was like, what did I just see? And for me, that's like, so exciting that imagine that there's still things in the world that we don't recognize easily. You know, for me, that kind of illegibility is really politically potent Um, in a world where everything is commodified so quickly, um, named obsessively, uh, memed (laughs) right after the fact, (laughs) um, where we know we kind of like package things to consume, right? It's kind of in this, in this, that, 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 that we're doing something that maybe doesn't um, yield to that kind of consumption, but rather puts people in a real state of like self reflection is really exciting. I feel really proud of that. I feel really, really happy. Not because I'm trying to walk around and frustrate people. But because if they're willing to engage, I think that they can encounter a very rich conversation within themselves and with the people that they see the show with. And I'm not the only person doing that. There's many, many, many artists in the world who are doing that. So I, you know, I always tell people just because you haven't heard of this or seen this doesn't mean it hasn't been existing for like a really long time. I didn't invent experimental art, you know? So yeah, that's, that's the only thing I would say. Thank you. Well, Miguel, thank you for this conversation. Yes. Yes. Uh, let's hope everything goes perfect with your performance. Oh no, I don't care about perfection. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope people come. Yeah. (laughs) And you should be proud of what you're doing. Gracias. So, Um. A todos, gracias por escucharnos and remember to follow us on Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Y hasta la próxima. Chao.